Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I'm the director of the Global Summitry Project. Our activity to work and research can be found at the globalsummitryproject.com website. Uh, there you will find uh, various podcast series. Uh, and there is uh, current uh, research articles and some videos, including, of course, the podcast series you're about to listen to, which is the NOW series. You will also find uh, current research articles, uh, including, of course, our special issue uh, on uh, strengthening uh, the global governance through strengthening the G20. We are currently focused on two major research projects. Uh, one, the CWD process, or the China-West Dialogue process. And there, the special issue on strengthening global governance through strengthening the G20 was a product of our, um, our work. And also on the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, where we are currently working on a special issue of the journal Global Summit, the e-journal Global Summitry. And there we'll, the, the title of that special issue is Strengthening Global Governance by Strengthening Agenda 2030. It is my great pleasure today to invite back into the virtual studio our good colleague, Peter Draper. This is in the NOW series, episode 26, in which uh, Peter and I uh, focus on the state of the WTO following the conclusion of the 12th ministerial. That ministerial took place in June and occurred after significant delays in um, establishing a ministerial. Uh, it was an opportunity to examine whether the WTO ministerial had been able to make progress in resolving the many issues that currently challenge uh, the WTO and also to uh, assess the leadership of the current uh, Director General. Peter is currently the Executive Director of the Institute of International Trade in the Faculty of the Professions at the University of Adelaide in Australia. <clears throat> He's also a member of the Board of Trustees of the International Chamber of Commerce, Commerce's Research Foundation, a non-resident senior fellow of the Brussels-based European Centre for International Political Economy, and an associate researcher at the German Institute of Development and Sustainability, which formerly was known as the German Development Institute. So it's with great pleasure we invite Peter back into the virtual studio. So welcome back, Peter. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to be talking to you again. Yes, well, all things WTO. So I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, kind of review with you what, in effect, was the twelfth um, ministerial of the WTO. It took place relatively recently, between June twelfth and seventeenth. This, uh, unfortunately, for the WTO, is the first ministerial that they had had for five years. Obviously. 
a variety of delays, but that's a pretty long period of time before between the 11th and the 12th ministerial. There were a lot of immediate issues, and I just wanted to review those quickly and let you just kind of react to that. Uh, there was the um, intellectual uh, property protocol uh, allowing for a waiver, particularly with respect to the COVID-19 uh, vaccine production, right? There was the um, permitting of emergency responses for food insecurity, this is particularly for developing uh, countries. There was a, the, a longstanding fish subsidies issue that, you know, now certainly the environmentalists have pointed to the fact that there's real harm that's being made, uh, being uh, uh, dealt with by fish stocks, which have uh, been reduced significantly. And uh, um, before we came on the air, I, we were talking briefly. And in fact, the UN uh, uh, General Assembly had requested that the WTO work on a solution to this as far back as 2001. Uh, and there was um, an e-commerce uh, uh, tax moratorium that was left in place, if only for an intermediate time, short time. So here, here are all these immediate issues. This doesn't even get to the long-standing issues, which we'll hopefully take a quick look at. Uh, the question really is, Peter, uh, were, the, were any of these uh, matters resolved or are they on the way to resolution or did they make significant progress? What did the 12th ministerial do with these issues? So I think overall, Alan, what we've got is a case of the WTO finally reviving its negotiating mechanism mm -hmm. on a multilateral basis. But in terms of substance, very little concrete progress. That's my overall and by revised, what do you mean, Peter? What, what was revised in terms of, I take it, process? So remember we had the Doha multilateral round of negotiations. That died a long time ago in my view. If officially in Geneva, it still lives, but it's effectively dead. Yep. That was a multilateral negotiating round. Progress has been made in plurilateral, so smaller subsets of WTO members coming together, like-minded mm -hmm. coalitions of the willing, if you like. Mm -hmm. so progress has been made in various plurilateral formats, but there has been nothing in the way of multilateral achievement since the 2013 uh, Bali ministerial outcome on trade facilitation. Mm -hmm. What we got at this ministerial was uh, a set of multilateral agreements that don't actually amount to much, but do tick the multilateral box, and particularly and most significantly the fisheries subsidies accord, which really, I think, assume, assuming it comes into force, and that is a big assumption, um, creates the shell for a deeper and broader agreement down the track. So what it's done is it started the clock ticking and by 2024, the members have to put up the rest of the bones on that multilateral accord. And mm -hmm. if they don't, what's very interesting, and this is an innovation in the WTO context, is the current agreement will expire. So the clock is ticking and the members have um, an obligation to negotiate the rest 
effect of the accords. And if they don't, this is the sort of Damocles, I suppose, hanging over them, then the existing arrangement effectively expires. Unless, of course, there's always an out in the WTO, they agree to extend it. Um, yeah, so, so, so overall, I think there was progress on a range of what I would call frozen multilateral conflicts, okay. but glacial progress. Glacial pace. <laughs> yes, but at least it's a revival of multilateral rulemaking. So there's signs of life, I would put it that way. Okay. Well, particularly with the, the fisheries issue, I take it the this most serious offender on this one is China. Uh, they have the major fishing fleets and so forth, and uh, have so I presume, therefore, that China had decided not to simply oppose, that they were prepared to allow this framework that you've now identified uh, to be put in place with respect to a, a hopeful uh, kind of framework and resolution, at least by you know, by 2024. Yeah, so just generally on China's role in this ministerial and in the WTO more broadly, yep. what I'm hearing is that they've been pretty constructive. And my characterization mm -hmm. of it is that the wolf warriors haven't shown up in Geneva yet, and that's a good thing. And when it comes to fishery subsidies, it's very clear China is the major offender, but it's not the only offender. And so the atmospherics around the ministerial conference it's actually mostly involved India and not so much China uh, and India was opposed okay. particularly to the to the emerging special and differential treatment provisions as they were framed and in effect the way the WTO ministers dealt with that well or the trade ministers dealt with that was to just park the issue so that, that that's to be resolved in the next phase as it were they didn't settle it now and largely because of Indian opposition. Now, that Indian opposition, one can ask why were the Indians taking such a strong stance? Is it because they have such a big stake in this? Probably not. It's more a case of old-fashioned hostage-taking mm. in the WTO. Okay. Yeah. And what is it that the uh, their hope is, uh, you know, in terms of the goal for for the reform of the special and differential treatment, what what what's the objective here, where um, they're heading at least for the moment, anyway, heading in terms of resolution? The Indians, particularly, yeah. Well, so no, the the WTO, particularly, uh, with and you know, where are they heading? Yeah, so so the special and differential treatment is a big box that applies to all negotiating areas. Um, right. Overall, I would say it depends who, who's asking the question. So if you're a least developed country, you are treated differently by definition. That's right. It's an accepted category in the WTO. If right. you're a developing country, that could be anything from Ghana to in Africa to China with Obviously, right. very different economic capacities, but all claiming special and differential treatment, which is the right, the political right, really, to receive favourable concessions vis-à-vis right. -vis negotiated outcomes. Now, many developed right. countries look at 
China, especially countries like Brazil, South Africa, to a lesser extent, and say, well, actually, you're not like Ghana. You shouldn't get these car payments. You need to do more. And they have a point. And that's kind of where things are stuck. Now, in the past, mm-hmm. the way this has been resolved is, in essence, through embedding special and differential treatment into specific negotiated outcomes. So the trade facilitation agreement built in a ladder of commitments that basically said you can get your carve out if you want, but then you're not going to get any development assistance or we're going to link development assistance to helping you build the capacity to implement that provision. Mm -hmm. What's novel about um, particularly the intellectual well, actually, yeah, yeah. So, so particularly the intellectual property rights agreement that was forged now is that right. China effectively said, well, we're not going to take advantage of this special treatment, this waiver. That mm-hmm. gave the Americans enough comfort to say, well, that's fine. So we can proceed with this waiver as a result. And that was built in by way of a footnote uh, uh, in the agreement, but the understanding was China waived its right to um, access this, this special provision, and that might be the way of the future. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. So you may not need to deal with special and differential treatment in a blanket way, for yeah. instance, through uh, constructing graduation criteria in a very structured data-driven approach. Um, you may just deal with it through these kinds of relatively informal approaches in the future. Okay. I I mean, and clearly, you know, the special differential treatment has been a kind of um, pain uh, in the side of the WTO for quite some time, in part because China has insisted on maintaining its uh, its status uh, there. And it, let's filter over because the, uh, the other area, of course, is the trade rule reform issue dealing with non-market economy practices. And as both you and I have been involved in the WTO going back, uh, you know, to China's accession, um, there were all sorts of what appeared to be promises on the part of economic reforms in China, um, particularly with respect to the state-owned enterprises and subsidies and so forth. And, uh, you know, essentially, many of those uh, presumed uh, promises have simply not come to fruition. Um, is there any prospect uh, that China uh, is likely to kind of at least address some of these uh, practices, which have become really hot button issues, I must say, in Washington? Uh, the short answer is no. No. Um, so I think this this is a fundamental cleavage in Geneva in the WTO right. system. So it's, the Americans will argue, and I think they're right. The, the system was set up to support market market economies. economies. Yeah, yeah. China's practices amount to non-market economy or state capitalism. Pick your label. Mm-hmm. Approaches. Um, now, the interesting thing is China is not the only uh, state capitalist country in the WTO, but the problem is China's scale and the fact that it's involved in broad spectrum competition with the United States particularly. 
And so, you know, as we've seen around Taiwan in recent weeks, there's the potential to really get out of hand. And it would be surprising if those tensions weren't showing up in Geneva. Uh, and they are in, in many ways. Viewed through that prism, it's actually surprising that we got a result at all at this ministerial conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I've heard, the atmospherics between US and Chinese negotiators were not healthy. Um, mm-hmm. But in the end, they were able to construct this intellectual property compromise. The Chinese didn't blow things up and the Americans didn't blow things up. So I mm-hmm. view that as a good political outcome. But can the, the big fundamental question the Americans are posing really is, can China's system be accommodated in the WTO architecture? And I think the answer they see to be coming to in Washington is no. And then that leads you to one of two possible and inescapable conclusions. Either China is expelled, not going to happen in my view, <laughs> and other members are certainly not going to vote for that, mm-hmm. or the US leaves. But there is a third possible outcome, which is they just learn to live in the same system and realise that they need to cooperate and work it out on a case-by-case basis. And I think what this ministerial conference represents in a way is the glimmer of that compromise option. So working issues out, either subsidies or practices, Yes. On an issue by issue basis, as a as a going potentially as a going forward um, means. Exactly. Okay, and I mean that also then leads. I mean, was there any sense in in the ministerial or coming out of the ministerial uh, that the United States um, was going to alter its its position on you know particularly the um, dispute resolution? Uh, the DSM and most particularly the appellate body nomination process, which now the United States has blocked uh, significant for long enough, such that in effect you don't have an appellate body anymore. Yes. Uh, not and notwithstanding the agreement among some countries to proceed, I mean realistically, um, not having the the AB and not having the DSM operate as it should is a huge issue for the for the WTI, I presume. Absolutely. Uh, and the way to think about this is that effectively since 2015, under the Obama administration, mm-hmm. <laughs> the US has taken the appellate body hostage. Right. So much like the Correct. Indians did with fisheries subsidies, the US yep. did the same with the appellate body. Um, and effectively what it said is there's all these things we're unhappy with vis-a-vis the appellate body and the way it's working, so judicial overreach particularly. And what that's done is, remember, it has become creative about using the appellate body to create new rules that the negotiators hadn't come up with. So that was the major substantive issue, I think, that the U.S. has. And on top of that, there's all these procedural concerns that they have the length of time it took for the appellate body to come to decisions. But, of course, mm-hmm. the complexity of the cases has been increasing. So what the U.S. did is, is it took the hostage. It said, we're very unhappy, so we're going to take this hostage, and we want mm-hmm. you all 
to discuss this and come around to our point of view, in essence. Now, of course, the Europeans said, well, we disagree, and they mobilised an alternative dispute resolution mechanism, which is starting right. to function, by the way. Oh, it is. Um, eh? Okay. And so, so now what's happened at this ministerial conference is that the Biden administration has effectively said, oh, well, well, okay, we're ready to talk. <laughs> uh, but that's all they've said. So are they prepared to put something new on the table? We'll see. What would that look like if they did put something new on the table? At this point, we don't know. So we don't At least know. they've signaled a willingness to re-engage in the conversation, whereas previously they weren't even engaging in the conversation. And I take it that was through, obviously, the Trump years that the United well, States would... Yes, through the Trump years, but continued. Continuing on into the Biden period. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Fair enough. So, uh, you know, you know, standing a little bit apart from these various issues and, and looking at the WTO Director General, Negozio Conyo Awela, I mean, there's been some, you know, a, a degree of controversy around her as how effective she is. But nevertheless, can she take some confidence um, uh, coming out of the uh, 12th ministerial that, you know, it seems as if some progress is made and that kind of reflects back on her leadership, I suspect, uh, as she sees it as, as that. Can we take that as kind of the position of the uh, direct of the DG? I think at a broad level, yes, she should be proud of, of this result, uh, mm -hmm. given mm -hmm. the broad, broader circumstances. It is significant that we had this set of agreements forged at the ministerial conference. Nobody thought that would happen. And she must take some of the credit for that. Okay. okay. What I've heard on the ground is different views expressed by different people. Some think that uh, this happened despite her. Others think it happened because of her. Now, I wasn't in Geneva. Honestly, I can't say. What we do know about her is she's extremely well-connected, so she has a roller date second, perhaps, to Klaus Schwab <laughs> from the World Economic Forum. Or the WEF, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and she can call leaders and say, hey, get your negotiator to pitch up and do something. Okay. That's important for a director general, mm -hmm. particularly given the challenges that the WTO system faces, and I would, I would attach huge value to that. Of course, she's not a trade person, and that was one of the critiques, but I always saw that as an advantage, that it, in effect she's an outsider but also a political insider that could bring fresh perspectives and fresh thinking to these processes and debate, which Geneva seriously needs. It needs. And do you think she's done that? I mean, some degree of success in kind I of... Think so. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I think there's some degree of success, but my emerging criticism is that her office does not function optimally. Uh, there's lots of problems. I don't know if it's the people themselves or just the way they operate, but it's a bit of a closed shop. And mm -hmm. access to the DG is very important for all sorts of, of reasons. Mm -hmm. And that's a common complaint you hear that consistently. What, that you um, can't get access? You can't get access. I've experienced that myself as, as really? well. Really? Yeah. Okay. One other area, that, you know, just to round out this uh, 12th ministerial, how much do you think that the rising uh, geopolitical tensions, especially between the U.S. and China, but also 
you know, the U.S. and Russia and Europe and Russia um, have hindered further progress or, um, or possibilities uh, for reforms at the WTO. How much is that an issue that we have to kind of be sensitive to? So I think on the Europe-Russia story, not so much. Okay. Russia just simply doesn't matter that much in the WTO context. I mean, interestingly, I'm flipping us around a bit. The UK doesn't matter that much in the WTO context. And I heard some quite interesting stories coming out of Geneva by the claims and the expectations of the US delegation. You know, we're a G7 country. Three, treat us with respect. We want to be in all the inner circles. And the response being, well, you're not the EU. We'll include the EU, but not the UK. <laughs> so they found themselves frozen out of right. negotiations. But when it comes to the U.S.-China dynamic, I, I touched on that earlier. Yes, you did. And in this context, they ultimately cooperated, and I took that as a very positive sign. But what I've heard behind the scenes is that it was mm -hmm. very difficult to get them to cooperate and that the WTO secretariat at the highest levels of the secretariat played an instrumental role in brokering key compromises between them because... Mm -hmm. Uh, true or not, I don't know, uh, they wouldn't be in the same room together. Uh, oh, really? So they needed go-betweens, and particularly in the WTO secretariat. That also just suggests a possible role going forward for the WTO secretariat, uh, mm -hmm. potentially breaking but, but that, yeah. Presumably, that's a huge issue if that's if that has a, uh, has an impact because you know many of the issues some of which we've touched on in today's podcast really rely on serious compromise and thinking on the part of both the United States and China and if they barely are talking to each other that's got to be a red flag uh in terms of the WTO in Geneva it, it is absolutely a red flag. And this is why I'm so encouraged that ultimately they did cooperate, <laughs> even if the outcomes were relatively small. Um, yeah, so probably enough said on that topic. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But Peter, I want to thank you for kind of helping us understand uh, some of the advances and some of the not so great advances uh, as a result of the uh, of the uh, the 12th ministerial it's a real pleasure to have someone who has such insight um, speaking to us on on the questions of the WTO and WTO reform thanks very much Alan it's been a pleasure